This morning we're looking at what it means to serve passionately, both locally and globally. And I want to invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is our text this morning. Serve passionately, both locally and globally. And part of the natural progression of a disciple of Jesus is not only uh, once we come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, is to get plugged into a local church and begin to grow in a weekly basis through time of worship, uh, getting plugged in and uh, growing uh, intentionally through a small group and getting uh, being surrounded by those people, but also learning what it means to serve passionately and to get involved serving and being a part of the hands and feet of Jesus, of uh, being uh, the ones who are on the ground, on the front lines, doing the, the work of the ministry and making disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to read our text this morning in Mark chapter 10. We're going to begin in verse 35. It says, our text in James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now imagine this morning coming to Jesus and telling him, I have a demand of you. I want to, I want to demand something of you. Now this morning we think about uh, maybe the context Bring it a little bit closer to home. Uh, maybe in our context, maybe you say it's the governor of, of the state of North Carolina. You go up and you say, hey, I'm going to make a demand of you as the governor. And people would say, uh, what are you talking about? I mean, you're, you're crazy. Someone like, I, wanna, I want the schools to open. I, I like you tell them a, a couple things about that or whatever your demand is. But imagine going up to Jesus and saying, I've got a demand of you and I want you to say yes even before you hear what that demand is. And it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But sometimes if you think about it, how often do we go to God and we, we want him to bless our plans. We want him to bless our desires and what it is that we're wanting to do. It didn't take them long to go from being amazed. And you, you think about over in Acts that we were looking at last Sunday, Acts chapter 2, how they were in awe of what the Holy Spirit of God was doing. It didn't take him long to go from that spirit of awe to a, a spirit of arrogance and, and the, the feeling of, of entitlement that the, that the followers of Jesus, those early disciples, uh, began to uh, embody. The disciples never seemed to figure out the importance of selfless servanthood while Christ was still here on this earth. They didn't understand. In fact, he would speak, and they're like, what's he talking about? And they, they, they're in a, a particular village, and they see all these kids surrounding Jesus, and Jesus is sitting down, and he's talking to them, and he's giving them illustrations and stories. And the disciples are like, you kids need to get on out of here. Y'all need to scat. Uh, he's got people to heal. He's got uh, things he's got to accomplish. And, and Jesus is like, no, suffer the little children to come up to me, for such is the kingdom of God. In other words... He never was overwhelmed by, by the pressures of, of the ministry. He, he took time to build relationships and lead people into relationship with Jesus Christ. The disciples never seemed to figure out what servanthood was all about. In fact, if you think about it, during the Last Supper, and we often talk about the Last Supper when we're getting ready to observe the Lord's Supper as Jesus sat there in the, the upper room with his disciples, it's amazing what was taking place the night before Jesus died. We read these words in Luke chapter 22, verse 24. A dispute arose uh, among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, I'm studying this this week in preparation for today, and I'm thinking to myself, 
We've completely missed the boat. If Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross the night before he is going to be crucified, and the disciples are trying to figure out which one of them is going to rise to the greatest prominence, and who's God's favorite, who's the favorite child, so to speak, and who's going to be elevated uh, and regarded as the greatest. To come, as we look at our text this morning, we'll see we're more like those early disciples often in today's culture, trying to figure out if I'm getting a better position, if I'm a greater servant, if I'm a greater volunteer, whatever it is. If we want to serve passionately, folks, we must incorporate these attitudes into our, our, uh, our thinking this morning. Consider our motives. If we look at our text this morning in verse 35, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. He said to them, What do you want me to do for you? What is, what's he accomplishing? He's saying, consider our motives. If you look, we don't have time today for sake of the time, but in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, we see a, a bigger picture. of uh, They're called the sons of Zebedee, but honestly, James and John were actually mama's boys. They were, their mom was always hovering over them like the, the, the helicopter parent who's trying to control them and make every situation in their lives perfectly. Here in Matthew chapter 20, she was coming into Christ and beheal, uh, as appealing to him on the behalf of her boys. She says, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to him and her sons kneeling before him, and she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one on the left in your kingdom. <laughs> I mean, do we wonder where they come from? I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. James and John are going up to Jesus saying, hey, we want to be on the right of you and the left of you in the kingdom of God. It's the exact same request that their mother asked for in Matthew chapter 20. It's it's crazy. Jesus, in Mark's account, they're asking him for a blank check. It's kind of like a, a, a genie, so to speak. And they're like, we want you to make sure in your future kingdom that we're front and center. We're just to the right and just to the left of the Messiah. We want to, you to grant us our wish. But folks, before we get too hard on them, consider our own selves, our own motives. How often do we say, you know what, I'll volunteer if everyone recognizes me if they pat me on the back if they tell me I've done a good job because I'll be honest if I preach up here on Sundays just so someone will pat me on the back folks it's a wrong motivation it's the wrong meaning in fact it took me a long time for all the years of playing piano to get used to people saying I appreciate your service this morning or that was a I was a blessing why because I shouldn't do it for that and it should not be for man's applause. It ought to be for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as he's coming to him, he's saying it ought to be something that drives us is, as we consider our motives. I want God to use me regardless of the benefit personally to me. I want to be a, a use of God and his kingdom. Before we get too hard on them, though, how many of us try to bargain with God we barter with God. God, I, I'll tithe if you'll bless me and give me that raise at work or that promotion. God, I'll, I'll do this. I'll serve in this capacity. I'll, we're just speaking of life groups. I'll lead that life group if you'll make X, Y, Z come into full formation. 
The other night, our, my son was outside, and he has the, we've got the, the, uh, one of the stargazing apps on his phone, and he's up there, and there was like three planets that were perfectly aligned, and I mean, he was so excited showing to, to me, and we were looking at it in the cul-de-sac. If you could get rid of all those street lights up there, it would be a lot better. But he's showing me all this, and I'm like, man, it's so awesome. As he was so, totally in, in, enthralled by a move of God. And folks, what happens is when we get more excited about being where God is at, what he's doing, and care less about how much glory we receive, our motives are pure. We want to see God working in us. Verse 36, he said, what do you want me to do? And they said to him, grant to us to sit one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. The word grant means to bestow, and one translation puts it like this, bestow to us at once. To sit at the right hand is the highest cabinet position available, and to the left is just below that. So I'm sure the older brother uh, was going to get the right hand and the younger one was going to get the left hand. And Warren comments comments on this very passage. He says, Jesus spoke about a cross, but they were more interested in a crown. Now think about it. We can get so consumed with winning crowns that I'll go out and lead someone to Christ but never really care about their spiritual growth and development after they come to faith in Christ. Well, hey, I've got a crown, another crown that I could lay at the feet of Christ. Folks, it's never about that in the first place. If it's all about for you getting the crowns, you've missed the entire picture of what it means to serve Jesus Christ. And folks, our method, our, sometimes our motives get out of whack. James and John wanted proximity. They wanted a position. They wanted power. They wanted prominence. In fact, they wanted to be the closest to Jesus. They wanted to be higher than everyone else, and their mother desired the best for them. If you grew up in a family with multiple kids, uh, there's always one that thinks that they are the best. <laughs> They're the favored child. In some families, that's the baby. And my younger sister is, you know, she's the baby of the family. And we often said she got away with everything, you know. Oh, I mean, me and my sister broke all of the glass ceilings, you know. It's just, she was the old, my older sister. I like to tell her she's older than me, but, you know, uh, she's only a, a couple years older. But, you know, we, we went through all those first hurdles, the first to drive, the first to, to leave the nest and go off to college, the first to do all those things. And we look at my younger sister like, man, she had it so easy. I mean, right? I mean, she, she literally, she gets the better car when she turns 16. I mean, at, at some point, I mean, it's just like, it's just a, a choice of there's less people in the house. I mean, I remember coming back from college and my parents had gotten all new furniture. I'm like, why didn't you do this when we lived here? And they're like, we were broke when you lived here. Now we can finally afford to get new couch and recliners and all of those things in the in-house. And, and, but we, we sit there and we want to be the favored one. And you know what? Uh, and my sister, when she became an FBI agent, I think she like elevated herself into a category the rest of us will never be at. And we're like, man, I mean, we're just not worthy of all of that. But you know, at the end of the day, we all want to think that we are the favored one. But here Jesus saying, I want you to count, consider your motives in serving me. What is it about it that is called driving you to serve God? Paul Miller said, the great struggle of my life is not trying to discern God's will. It's trying to discern and disown my own. In other words, I don't want this to be about me. God, I want it to be all about you and allowing you to take what little talent I have, what abilities I have, 
and realize that they're alone from God, if it's singing or teaching or, or cleaning the building or whatever it is, use it for your glory, God. I want it to be a servant of Christ. A truthful answer to this question would be, I want to monitor my, my motives. Here are some questions we should ask is, why is, what is it that I really want? Why am I doing this? Why am I, who am I serving here? Who am I hoping to impress by doing this? Because you see what happens. I know people often do what's inspected, what not what's expected. I'm sure these teachers this year have really found out through online teaching, I mean, how much work kids are actually doing in some of these classes. I mean, literally, I mean, I, I feel sorry for all of you. I mean, I'm praying for all of these teachers because I can't imagine the how do you keep them motivated when they don't see you and they know the teacher's not right there checking alongside to see their actual work and see what they're doing in the process and how frustrating that's got to be for a teacher. But folks, the reality is if it's not just doing what's inspected, it's doing what Christ has called us to do and what's expected of us as a follower of Jesus Christ. There's also a lesson for us as parents. Folks, while this mom obviously wanted the best for her sons, somehow she hadn't gotten a, a, a mindset of entitlement as a parent. Sometimes we can be so focused on our children's success that we often miss God's purpose and plan and his will for their lives and what he wants to accomplish, folks. Sometimes we don't think that they're all, all of our sons are princes and all of our daughters are, are princesses and they ought to be the CEO at 25 of, of a major Fortune 500 company. But it's helpful to remember that when we're talking about our kids, they learn most of their, their uh, valuable lessons through losses in life. In fact, character is built through stress, not success. When I studied this this week, I'm telling you, that's convicting and it's hard because we have a child in college right now and I want her to succeed on every level possible. But folks, the reality is she needs to fall from time to time and we've got to allow her to do that. Our son that's in high school, he's going to have to fail some, uh, a course or a class or, or get a bad grade or, or be told no or be put in his place. And you say, why is that? Because that's part of learning to depend fully on God and say, I'm not the best at everything. You know, every child thinks they should be the quarterback of the team. My son just recently went out for the football team and he came back and he says, I'm a linebacker. And he was so mad. I mean, he was just furious. And I was like, well, what did you expect? <laughs> so you've never even played and you're 11 years old. You've been playing soccer all this time. And now you just decided to pick up a football. I mean, we're not in England. I mean, uh, I'm like, we're just picking up the football for the very first time. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, you thought you were going to be the quarterback? Well, dad in the neighborhood, I've got the best arm. Yeah, yeah, but that's on street ball. That's in someone's backyard or the, the playground at school. But the reality is this morning is not everybody's going to be the quarterback. Not everyone's going to score the touchdown. But folks, it takes all of us being faithful in the position that God has placed us in. Character is built through stress, not success. Secondly, prepare for problems. Christ is talking to his disciples. And if you look in verse 38, he says, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? He's really saying, 
you don't have a clue what you're asking for. I remember in college, so I'm studying to, to be a pastor, I was sitting there in, in one of my classes, and all of the people in this classroom were studying to be pastors. That There was a pastor that from time to time they would bring in guest uh, speakers that would come, and, or guest teachers that would be like a, I don't know what you call it, I'm thinking artists or residents, but it would be someone who's in that field and they're coming in and they're speaking on that particular field or that particular subject. And this particular pastor was probably late 50s. And I remember him saying, he says, people come up to me all the time, young preacher boys, young men that are just getting started. And he says, I want so bad to pastor a huge mega church. And this was really before mega church was even a word. A huge church like you pastor. And, and it's like, I mean, you've hit the jackpot, so to speak, and it would just be the, the greatest thrill of my life to, to stand before thousands of people on a given weekend. And he was like, before you go down this road, let me just tell you, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And it's not as glamorous and glorious as you think. And he said, on the best of weeks, he says, Things are completely out of control in that church of thousands of people. There are p couples that are fighting, that are having custody battles. And literally, I've got, I've got police officers standing in the lobby to keep the dad from showing up and stealing the child out of the nursery. He said, I've got people that are di disagreeing with one another and won't speak at church. He says, it's completely crazy. Another pastor of a large church in Atlanta, I, I was at a meeting a few years ago, and he says, same thing, he says, people are always saying, Pastor, I want to pastor a church just like yours. He says, really? He says, I have to have armed guards walk me from the, my office to the platform because people have threatened my life walking through the lobby of our own church. God help us. The other day, on Friday, my wife and I were coming back. We were driving through Winston-Salem, and we pulled off on an exit, and she said something about, she says, Jonestown Road, and, and she said, um, we were getting, wanting to get something to eat. I says, I wasn't even, I was driving, I wasn't paying attention exactly the exit we were on. I said, Jonestown Road, this is the, my dad pastored the church that sat right here where Starbucks is. And she texted my dad. I said, my dad's not here this morning, he wasn't feeling good. And she texted my dad, she was like, we're eating dinner at a Arby's that's next door to the Starbucks where your church was years ago. And he said, oh, that brings up a lot of very bad memories. And, and she said, what happened? I said, one of the deacons threatened to kill my dad because he had to make a decision about something that was according to God's word and was right. And, and he threatened to kill my dad. And, and I was like, she's like, what are you talking about? I was like, you have no clue the, 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 the junk sometimes that happens. And, and folks, it's not always glamorous. So Jesus is saying to James and John, you have no idea what you're talking about when you say, I want to be right there with you. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? The word cup was a symbol of suffering or affliction. And to drink means to take something deep inside. In fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in Matthew 26. He says, my father, if it be possible, what does he say? Let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, he says, nevertheless, not I as I will, but 
as you will. In other words, the cup stood for God's wrath and his judgment upon us. At its core, baptism means to be identified with with Christ. And and folks, it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. You're identifying with his suffering, his death on the cross. Jesus is about to experience the undiluted wrath of the righteousness of God. Folks, as he bore the sins of the entire world on his shoulders. So just for a moment, consider we're taking on that suffering. But folks, when we're, we're coming to say, so want, God, I want to be right there. I want to experience all the things that you're experiencing. It's, it's crazy. He says, you don't understand it. In fact, this, is, this doctrine is called penal substitutionary atonement, meaning that Christ died on the cross as a substitute for our sins. He took my place on the cross. It's, and folks, God imputed the guilt of our sins to Christ, and he in our place bore the punishment that we deserve. But unbelievably, both James and John answered this question with complete confidence, just like my son who thought he should be the the quarterback on on week number one. And folks, I'm not, he's going to kill me when he knows I was talking about him this morning. But verse 39 says, they said to him, we are able, the cup that I drink, you'll drink, and and with baptism with which I am baptized, you'll be baptized. They, They were thinking, oh, this is no big deal. This is no problem whatsoever. They wanted glory. But Jesus says, get ready for grief. Prepare for problems, for struggles along the way. Folks, while we don't always know in advance how we're going to suffer, the reality is if we choose to follow Jesus, he says, take up your cross and follow me. You're going to face persecution, adversity, trials along the way. But folks... One day, when we stand before our Savior face to face, it will be worth it all. All of life's trials will seem so small when we see him, folks. The reality is, is one day when we stand before God, all of the suffering, the difficulties in this life will be worth it when we understand what Jesus Christ has fully accomplished. Philippians 1.29, Paul writes, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. James did not suffer long because he lost his life. He was the first of the twelve to be martyred uh, in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And John lived to be about 95 years old. But folks, he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. James was executed and John was exiled. And so neither one of them enjoyed some great fame or popularity or notoriety in their days. If you're serious about serving Jesus, you're going to face some trials. Every single person who steps up and says, hey, pastor, I want to serve. I want to teach a a, a Sunday school class or a a lead a life group. The devil's going to fight you. He's going to come after you. He's going to attack you. Every person who takes on the, the office of pastor or, or elder is going to face adversity. If you serve as a, as a deacon or a trustee, you're going to face trials. Why is that? Because the devil does not want you serving the king of kings. He doesn't want the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so you say, Pastor, I'm going to go and uh, be on a mission team to Brazil. 
You're going to face every kind of, uh, of trial you can imagine before you get on that trip. I've been on mission teams, and I watched one lady. She was uh, reaching out to put a, uh, an invite thing on someone's door, and a dog bit, uh, jumped up and bit her in the finger. And here we're dealing with someone's going to have to go get stitches in a third-world nation. I mean, do you want to go to the hospital there? I don't. I've never in all these years had to do that, but uh, we had to that day. And, and folks, the reality is, is there's trials. There's adversity. We went to certain villages in India, and we had everything completely mapped out to do a vacation Bible school. We had all the buildings. We had all of the, I had projectors. and every, We were so excited. We get there, and there's no power in the whole village. Suddenly, that you know, $1,500 projector you just brought over here is worthless when there's no power to turn it on. And we started pulling out bean bags and, and pulling out little pumps and blowing up balls and said, we're going to just, we're going to go with plan C or D. And folks, the reality is, is God blessed that. And souls were saved and lives were changed. And we realize it's not about us. It's about the power of God working in us. Verse 40, Jesus said, but to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, for it's those for whom it has been prepared. We see thirdly, he says, elevate others first. Elevate others first. After considering our motives, preparing for problems, the third way to serve passionately is to elevate others. In case you're wondering how the other ten felt when James and John are sitting there going, hey, would you put me on the right and, and, and John on the left? Would you give us a position of, of, of authority and leadership they weren't too excited. In fact, verse 41 says, when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. <laughs> I bet Peter was ticked off. I mean, he was known for saying whatever, I mean, not having a big filter. I mean, he was speaking out of turn, saying all kinds of things, and yet God could still use him. He used him uh, there in Acts chapter 2. But folks, Peter was, was ticked off. The word indignant means to be greatly afflicted and sorely vexed. It'd be fair to say that they were pretty appalled. Here is someone who's trying to get God to give them a position of power or leadership. And folks, the spiritual attitude of the ten was not any better than the other two that they're, they're upset about. They all had the same attitudes and ideas. Why is it that we condemn in others what often we excuse in our own lives? I've noticed over the years, it's easy to point out other people's struggles while ignoring our own. Some of the people that I've noticed this in pastors a lot, the ones who preach so hard against certain things, they're masking something else that they're covering in their own life. And boy, they'll be so angry and pounding on the pulpit. And I remember uh, hearing a pastor say one time, he said, man, I used to preach against divorce and how, you know, it was just a horrible thing. And it is horrible. God hates divorce, but it's never his first choice. But, you know, but he allows for it. And he says, I was so angry at times and like, man, someone's divorced. They can't be used in service. He says, until divorce hit my family. When my son and his wife got divorced, he said, it didn't change God's word on the matter. He said, what it did was it changed my heart on the matter. He said, suddenly I began to look at someone who's gone through that and realized 
They would have never chosen that in a million years. If they could go back and undo time and, and rewrite history, they would have never chosen a divorce. And he says, and guess what? The 411, God can still use them. He still has a plan. He has a purpose. And he uses imperfect people in part of his perfect plan to reach the world with the gospel. When they heard it, they, they were upset. But folks, the reality is this morning is a sharp contrast between the servanthood philosophy of our Lord and Savior and the worldly system that we live in today. The worldly way teaches us we spend all of our energy to get to the top. We're trying to crawl, climb, you know, whatever it takes to get to the top. But folks, when Jesus reminded them, he says, seeking power was a Gentile or a pagan practice. In fact, he was in essence telling them they weren't to operate in this fashion. Rabbis would often use Gentile illustrations as a negative example. And they're often referred to in a negative light. The German Kaiser was one of the most recognized figures after World War I. After he died, his valet said this. He says, I cannot deny that my master was vain. He had to be the central figure in everything. If he went to a christening, he wanted to be the baby. If he went to a wedding, he wanted to be the bride. If he went to a funeral, he wanted to be the corpse. Because he was self-centered. He wanted to be the center of everything. And folks, if we're not careful, this describes us. I've known people. It's your birthday. It's your birthday party. And somehow they turn it all about themselves. <laughs> I mean, you ever met someone that tries to steal the, 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 the glory of a bride? I mean, boy, you are dressed all to kill. I mean, it's not your day. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. I have to tell these, some of these couples when I'm getting ready to do their wedding, I look at the husband. I'm like, just say yes. Smile. And it's all about her. She doesn't care what you think that <laughs> she does. But, I mean, at some point, it just that doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's her day. All eyes are on the bride. And it should not do anything to steal from that moment in her life. And folks, verse 43 says, but it shall, cut, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. A Christ follower must not operate this way. In fact, in the family of God, there's only one category of people, as, and they are servants. Verse 44, he goes, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. This was countercultural. As Jesus is talking, he's saying, I know this doesn't make sense in any other realm. And folks, the reality is, why would we serve our neighbor? Why would we go and serve the underprivileged in our city? Why would we make an impact and do something to help a neighbor that's in need? Because it's countercultural to everything our society says. But folks, that's when they see Christ in us. The hope of glory, because it's not about us. The word servant is the word used for table waiter. It's also the root word where we get our word deacon in church life. It literally means one who waits on and serves other. The word slave refers to those who are owned by another and is completely subservient to the wishes and demands of their master. Think about the difference between a servant and a volunteer. We're always saying, we're looking for volunteers. 
to serve. <laughs> but think about the difference between a servant and a volunteer. A volunteer picks and chooses when they serve, whether they want to do it. If they want to do that job, a servant serves no matter what. A volunteer serves when it's convenient. A servant serves out of commitment. Someone also said it this way. A servant does not does what he is told when he's told to do it. The volunteer does what he wants to when he feels like doing it. If that doesn't change the whole paradigm. He wouldn't call us to be a volunteer. He called us to serve. He called us to be a servant. And that's the, the example that Jesus Christ set here in this world. Jesus didn't recruit volunteers. He redeemed us to be his servants. He wants us to give them our all. He told his disciples to take up their cross and follow him. And folks, the, the true test of whether you're a servant is to consider how you will respond when you're treated like one. Because if someone doesn't pat us on the back, oftentimes in our culture today, we don't, we're not interested. I'm only wanting it if I'm getting Starbucks gift cards, you know, every couple months to go great job, you knocked it out of the park, high five. I mean, seriously? If that's what we're after, folks, that we've missed the, it goes on fourthly and lastly, is embrace the example of Jesus. Look at our last verse here in verse 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This verse is the summary of the whole Gospel of Mark. Jesus is servant and Savior. He served the needs of others. In fact, I love there the, the pictures when he fed the 5,000. I've stood right there in that very area where they believe he fed the 5,000. And I, I was overwhelmed at the thought of what Jesus accomplished, the miracle there of, of feeding all of those people. The disciples are running, rushing around trying to figure out how we're going to make enough food out of five loaves and two fishes. And Jesus is like, I got this. I got it covered. The water and the wine, he was, it was no problem, folks. He served. He got on, on his hands and knees and, and washed his disciples' feet. He came as a servant and ultimately would pay the ultimate service as he died on the cross for our sin. The image of the word ransom is of slaves being offered on the marketplace. Someone paying the price to set them free. Folks, there are are few words, there, there, there are three words for ransom in the New Testament, but Jesus is ultimately saying he gave his life for ours. In exchange, for ours, he gave his life voluntarily, meaning that what he did was in our place instead of us taking the punishment, he took my place. First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 5 says, there is one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. That's the love of the Father. It was not about pomp and circumstance, about regal thrones and all of those things, being born in, in, in a palace or a castle. Jesus has fixed our wrongs by covering our sin in exchange. He's given us everything we need to faithfully serve him with our lives. And folks, now that we're returning to church, 
It's time to begin to serve God again. It's time to plug in and be used in a capacity to make a difference in our city. Folks, as we're watching all of the, the construction and the building that's coming around us, we will be the exact same this time next year if we do absolutely nothing. You say, well, pastor, right now I'm just kind of, you know, I'm just kind of uh, dating the church for a while. I'm just going to kind of, you know, take my time and make sure, you know, all my needs are being met. And I, that's not ever designed like that in Scripture. Well, pastor, we're just kind of courting, and, and I'm going to make sure that I know. The reality is, is Jesus Christ saved us to serve. He saved us to use and give our lives for others and be used as a, as a vessel that can preach the gospel to the lost around us. When we're returning to church, folks, it's going to require people with a servant's heart who are saying, I'm willing to get down on the floor and play with two-year-olds in a classroom if it means that their moms and dads can hear the gospel being taught in a fashion they can understand and receive it. I'm willing to, to greet out front or stand out there on a beautiful spring, sunny Sunday morning. It's awesome working in the parking lot. I mean, you get to wear the Mickey Mouse hands. I mean, that's the coolest job ever. I mean, it's the happiest place on earth. I mean, I love when I see that, hat, that Mickey Mouse hand. But folks, the reality is on the rainy Sunday mornings when it's freezing cold and you're also standing out there with nothing between you and the wind, that the, the umbrella, that the rain is blowing sideways, it's not as fun on those Sunday mornings. Changing diapers in the, uh, you said, Pastor, I can't give you it's a reality. Changing diapers in the nursery is, would not be any job I'd ever want to do, but folks, the reality is that makes it possible for us to hear and understand the truths of the gospel. It's requiring every one of us to serve in some capacity. Folks, we'll never do abroad what we're not willing to do at home. We'll never do in Romania and India and Nicaragua what we're not willing to do right here in Raleigh. Say, Pastor, what's the application? Am I willing to take my next step in my own spiritual growth and development? Pastor, what does that next step look like for me? Talk, come talk to us. We want to help you. Corporate worship is important, and it should be part of my weekly plans. Am I making that a priority in my life? And if, if that's where you're at and you're on the fence, that's your next step is I'm, I'm going to make it a priority. I'm going to be in church next week, and I'm going to, I want to seek to, to know God and set, build a relationship with Him and establish that relationship. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, your next step is to place your faith and trust in Him for salvation and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. Secondly, am I making a decision to grow intentionally? I'm talking to believers here. At the end of the service, you're going to have an opportunity to walk around all around the entire uh, sides and, and back of the worship center and meet small group leaders, life group leaders who are saying, I'm willing to invest in your development and growth as a follower of Jesus Christ. They want to meet you. They want to have an opportunity to get to know you and take that opportunity to, to build those relationships and get plugged in. And then thirdly, am I actively serving in my local church? You say, well, pastor, I mean, you're, you're crossing a line here. No, this is exactly what Jesus Christ saved us to do. Take a picture of the screen. If you're not plugged in, 
text serve to the number on the screen and we'll reach out to you this week and help you find a place that you can personally get plugged in and serve within the local church and make a difference we've got immediate needs and children's ministry student ministry worship uh, audio visual we could use you in, in, in a various number of ways of getting plugged in and then lastly this morning who am I personally inviting to Easter Sunday. Two weeks away. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Don't miss it. We're observing the Lord's Supper next Sunday as we are moving into that week that Jesus Christ will come in gloriously into the city of Jerusalem, but ultimately He came to die on the cross for our sin. We'll celebrate His sacrifice as he died on the cross and he was buried and ultimately we know he rose again. We observe the Lord's Supper next Sunday morning. The following Sunday is Easter Sunday. Don't wait. Don't delay. We have tons of tickets out there in the lobby this morning. Grab those on your way out the door. You have two weeks. In fact, on April the 5th, those tickets are no good. Easter's already over. It's that simple. Take them all. Um, and, and, but don't just leave them in your car. Take them and give them out and invite your one. Invite the, those that God has laid on your heart to lead them to a faith in Jesus Christ. What an awesome thing God is going to do this Easter Sunday is we are preparing and praying for a harvest of souls. We're praying that he will bring people into the kingdom of God and the family of God and do a mighty work. What's your next step this morning, church? Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, what a privilege it has been over the last few Sundays to challenge our church family. And God, people are returning to church. They're, they're getting plugged back in. God, I pray you would just continue doing a mighty work through your church. Lord, help us to reach our city with the gospel. God, give us a greater capacity to minister to those who come through our doors. Lord, be able to take the truths of God's Word and help them apply it to their lives so they understand the truth of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Lord, if there's someone here this morning that's watching online or here in person, God, that have never placed their faith and trust in you, may this moment be that moment of decision where they bow their knee and confess you as Lord and Savior. Lord, for those that know Christ as their Savior, may we make weekly worship gatherings a part of our routine. Not just to check off a box, but God, to may it radically transform our worship and our walk with God. Lord, help us as, as the service wraps up this morning. I pray that people would take opportunity to go around and meet the different life group leaders and figure out how they can get plugged into a small group where they can be encouraged and challenged and, and grow in their relationship with you. God, help us to find that place of service. Lord, I pray that we would serve faithfully here until you call us home. And God, realizing that it's not about us, it's about dying to self, it's about being a servant of the King of Kings, the one who took our place and paid our ransom. God, I pray you would use us. God, stir in our hearts a desire to serve you here in this place. Lord, whether it be locally and ultimately as that spreads to globally, God, may you do a mighty work through your church to reach our city and world with the gospel. We'll be careful to praise you for what you're going to accomplish. With heads bowed and eyes.